Hey, good morning. Good morning, night school. Good morning, night. Isn't that the name of a children's book? Isn't there a children's book that's like, good morning, night? <laughs> I swear there's so good morning, moon. I don't know. There's something like that. But children's books, man, they rub me the wrong way. But, you know, they, they do that. There's something about the tone. You know, and even as a kid, it's not its not like a thing where I've grown older and grown this new resentment. Oh, what's wrong with you, dude? You've grown this new resentment for children's books. No, it's, it always bothered me. Even then, even though I liked the illustrations, sometimes I liked the stories as, as a kid, I'm not very sentimental about children's books. And, and a large part of that is the tone. They're, the way they're, and it's not just the way that they're written, it's not just the writing itself, but it's the children's book reading voice that people do. And I know some people, some adults, who talk that way all the time. They communicate with that tone, like they're reading a children's book. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. There's people I love. There's somebody I love, in fact, who, despite my love for them, I mean, my love for them is so strong that I couldn't possibly hold it against them that they talk that way. But even talking to me, talking to other adults, they sound like they're reading a children's book out loud. And I'm like, this isn't good. <laughs> you know, this this isn't how to communicate. I don't say that, but it's just one of those things. It's, it's definitely a, a neurosis. It's definitely a what they call a, a peeve, a pet peeve, a pet peeve. That children's book voice, ugh. And that, that's not even what I'm talking about today. That's not even why I wanted to talk about this this morning. I just got reminded of that. Good morning, night. Yeah, children's books should be illegal. Um, but, uh, you know, what I was actually thinking about is something else. This is just going to be a, a wonderful episode filled with complaints. Uh, you know, and here I am back in the swing, two episodes, two days. Uh, but this show isn't a priority for me. Like, even when I do these impulsively, even when I do these every day, twice a day, it's still somehow not a priority. Just It, it seems to be really easy to squeeze these in when I feel like it. Maybe a little too easy. Maybe somebody should make these more difficult for me. Although I don't need anything to be more difficult. You know, I, f I feel that difficulty adjusts itself. Like in a video game, how you, in old video games, you would choose easy, medium, difficult the difficulty setting, I feel like the nice thing about life is that it just adjusts on its own accordingly. You don't have to choose a setting before the fact. Uh, but, you know, what I'm thinking about this morning is how there are these, I don't know what to call them, but you, you might call them kind of negative platitudes or confrontational platitudes because, you know, we think of platitudes as cliche, kind of tired statements, but they're usually positive affirmations. But because they're these tired cliches, they don't really have any impact until like you have a moment where a, a platitude becomes an epiphany because that happens to me all the time. Things that were in one ear and out the other suddenly become profound at a random moment. Oh, that thing that people always said, that thing that my mom said, that thing that that's on greeting cards, suddenly has this new meaning to me. And now I am the platitude giver. Now I am the one who, who gives tired, cliche platitudes. But there are these sort of negative platitudes. And I've talked about one version of this, which is very common with my generation, 
which is this sort of nihilistic, fuck my life, fuck my life, dude. You know, this sort of everything is just, oh, life is just a burden and it's meaningless. And I see those a lot. Trash world. Trash world. You know, I don't like those. I never did. Even when I was in a more negative state, I never liked those because they're platitudes, but they're these negative platitudes. They reinforce this negative outlook, this meaningless outlook. But in and of themselves, they're filled with meaning because that becomes your meaning. Uh, But it's not just the negative platitudes, which those tend to be more depressive. Uh, But there are also these sort of confrontational platitudes, and I'm trying to think of the best way to describe them, and that might be it. Confrontational platitudes. And we've all seen these. And uh, they come in the form of like, I went to the school of hard knocks. Like, you you can't hold me back. If you ever mess, like people who, nobody's messed with their family, but they say things like, if you ever mess with my family, you're going to get a piece of me. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, that's a form of this. And the one that's very popular, and this one's popular with women, is, uh, you know, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. You see that one a lot. And even when it's not said in those words... Because you see it said in those exact words, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best, you know, that sort of thing. You see it in those exact words often, and for whatever reason, that exact phrase seems to only apply to women. Women seem to be the only ones who are attracted to that particular phrase, which is fascinating. Why is that? I mean, I think women are attracted to platitudes more in general, but why is that one so attractive to them? Because we can all relate. I mean, I think we can all relate in our own way to the idea of it. Where, you know, basically, if you can't deal with me when I'm not doing well, even if I'm insufferable, you know, you don't really deserve to deal with the other side of me when things are going well and I'm a pleasure to be around. See, that's my long, wordy version. (laughs) That's my version. Uh, But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, that one... If you don't, if if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. You know, that one, that particular phrase is extremely attractive to not just a certain type of woman, but a lot of different types of women. And I'm just fascinated by that Uh, on a, I guess, a sociological level, on a psychological level. I'm fascinated by why that's so attractive. Because the other ones that I'm talking about, like, if you ever mess with my family, you know, that one seems to be attractive to men and women alike. And the school of hard knocks, like, that's a little different because it's not as confrontational, but it's kind of saying, like, it's another form of saying, like, I'm tough, don't mess with me. I'm tough, don't mess with me. It's another version of that. And I feel like maybe I'm off base. I don't think so, though. I think these all swim around the same part of the brain. Maybe they're reptilian. Maybe it's the reptilian brain, which I don't. I don't think I completely understand. Um, but uh, it, it does seem kind of reptilian, though, because it's like it's like somebody who has this preloaded confrontation in mind. They got a chip on their shoulder, uh, and th- that one in particular, though. And I'm trying to think of more of these right now, just to get them out. Um, I, I have this memory of. There was a girl, my junior year of high school, like the only girl who ever showed any any interest in me in high school, my junior year, she was older, 
she was a senior, not some older woman. You know, at the time she seemed like that, but the reality was she was like a year older than me. Uh, and she was like the only girl to ever show any like sincere interest in me in high school. So of course I was obsessed with her for like three years, <laughs> but, uh, she uh and, and we never even dated like we went I, I guess we went on what you might call like little dates for a while but it was never really framed as as total rom total romance but looking back I'm like geez like you know you really are thick at that age because I'm like oh yeah she she made it a point at, at one point like she was like she wanted me to meet her friends and it was important that her friends approved of me and she told me that and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, she was totally expressing interest in me, but I was just, I was in, in awe, and I was, and it was so nerve-wracking, you know, it's such a nerve-wracking thing when you're that age, and it's not even a lack of confidence, it's just like, this is a new world, and if you're in awe of that person, because she was like a writer, she was, you know, she seemed so advanced when it came to just everything, uh, but, uh, you know, she wanted me to meet her friends, and she had me meet this one friend of hers long, you know, just to get to the actual point. And her friend just, within like seconds of meeting her, her friend just was insulting me. And it was funny to me. Like, I don't mind being insulted. Like, insults don't break my heart, especially if they're funny. But I remember, like, at the time, I had long hair. I had, like, shoulder-length hair. I was chubby. I was fat. I was on. I was. I wasn't just chubby. I was fat. And uh, her friend, though, like right away, was like, "So what do you do? Play magic cards?" And I, I just started laughing, and I was just like, "What do you do? Fuck jocks?" And uh, not that I had any problem with jocks. Like, I mean, I I'm a jock myself. Even when I even when I was fat with long hair, I still identified as a jock. <laughs> I did, you know. I've always been into jock things in addition to, but I, I wasn't into magic cards. You know, I had a I I bought a couple packs of magic cards in like elementary school, but I, I was never into magic cards. But I guess this girl, I guess in her mind, like if you're fat and you have long hair. Her point of reference is magic cards, but she said it to me in the most condescending way. It was confrontational, and that's not a platitude. That's not a confrontational platitude. So what do you do, play magic cards? If you can't handle me when I'm playing magic cards, you don't deserve me when I'm uh, playing football. That's my platitude. <laughs> if you can't handle me when I'm playing magic cards, you don't deserve me when I'm playing football. But no, she and I immediately got into this like battle, and and the girl that I was hanging out with had to, like, intervene and mediate. And I guess because I was hanging out with girls, we ended up, like, hanging out at this park. And, and you know, it, it was quickly mediated. It was quickly... Our mutual friend calmed us down. I mean, it was all fun. It was all fun and games, you know? It wasn't like it was a real fight. But then, of course, because I was, like, hanging out with women, like, we then, like, talked about it. We then, like, talked about our emotions or something sitting around in the grass which sucked. <laughs> but that girl, it was interesting because that girl, like the reason I'm, I'm t saying all this is because in addition to her just immediately insulting me while we were sitting around in the grass, that girl started talking about herself and she's like, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's my, my place in the world to put people in their place. She's like, I just, I just feel like it's my role to put people in their place. And that's another form of this. 
the fact that she said that. It's like, it's my job to put people in their place. You know, it's that same sort of attitude that I'm getting at here with these confrontational platitudes, these preloaded confrontational platitudes. And this girl clearly had that going on where her just saying that, you know, I just feel like it's my role to put people in their place. What a role. You know, what a role. That who, you know, how'd you earn that role? What made you think that was your role? You know, not that I really have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with people who are just, I, you know, I, I have a lot easier time with people who are openly confrontational than I do people who are passive aggressive and who fester and gossip. And, you know, I, I'd much rather somebody just be out in the open. I mean, it kind of goes back to the free speech thing where it's like, even if somebody is criminal, like I would like, let's just use the example. Cause like it gets so politicized. I'm trying to think of examples that aren't explicitly political or, or racial or, or social, you know, socio-political. So it's like, think about a school shooter. It's like, would you rather have a school shooter publicly sharing their fantasy or their plan? Or would you rather have them keep it to themselves or find some, you know, hidden channel to express that? It's violent, it's criminal, it's dangerous. But one, you can keep tabs on their thoughts if you want to, if, you, if, that's, if that's your role. If it's, if it's your role to keep tabs on people, wouldn't you rather have those people expressing it publicly? You know, with a school shooter, I guess the dilemma is like, oh, is them expressing their violent fantasies going to bring violent fantasies out in other people? Is it going to encourage other people? Maybe. But if if they're going to be influenced by reading about somebody else's violent fantasies, they're probably not far off from concocting their own violent plan. It's not like people just see, oh, look, it's somebody else who wants to hurt people. I guess that means it's okay for me to hurt people. It's like that person's already on a, they're hanging from a precipice, you know. I'd, I'd like all that to be out in the open, I think, you know, for legal reasons even, you know. Because, I mean, if if the police or somebody does have to intervene in that situation, I would much rather, I mean, they their job should be easy that way. It's like, oh, he's posting all of his violent school shooting fantasies on on, on Twitter, you know. That seems better to me personally. Uh, but the reason I'm getting into that is just because like, I don't mind people who are openly insulting. I don't mind people who are openly confrontational. I don't take it personally. I might not want anything to do with them depending on what they're actually saying, what they're actually saying. Uh, but it was interesting to me just, just that this, we had this like debriefing, like me and this girl got in this fight. Our mutual friend had to like intervene and then we like sat around in the grass and like, you know, whenever you're a kid, especially like sitting around in the grass field, like you pull the grass out. So we're like sitting around there, like running our fingers through the grass, talking about uh, like why we got in this confrontation. This girl's like, I just I just feel like it's my role to put people in their place. And that's totally a version of that thing I'm talking about where it's, it's just like I put people in their place. I'm from the school of hard knocks. If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. I feel like it's all part of the same. Like I said, I I feel like all of that swims around in people's brains. And it's what people do in the shower. You know, I've talked a lot about these phantoms that exist in your own mind. It's the person who like, oh, it's it, there's a person out there who's just waiting to call me a hypocrite. It's a person out there who's just waiting to tell me I'm wrong. 
There's a person out there who's just waiting to blah, 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 point the finger at me. We have these phantoms that exist in our brain. And the reason they exist is because that happens. Those things happen. These phantoms exist. But it's like the classic like shower argument where you're in the shower and your mind is racing. You're anxious about something and you're imagining some you know, confrontation that you're going to have with your boss or a friend or a coworker or just somebody else. You're just you're fantasizing. You know, we think of fantasies as something that's desirable, but we fantasize about all kinds of things that are undesirable. Like potential situations we could get in. If somebody did this, oh, what if they did this? What if they said this? Here's how I'd respond, and here's how they'd respond. And next thing you know, you've created this scenario in your brain that almost becomes real, and you go out into the world with that in your mind. And uh, that's kind of what these confrontational platitudes are. They're like, it's almost like somebody came up with some sort of argument in their head when they were in the shower, or it happens too. It's, it's either in the shower or when you're trying to sleep and you can't. And it might not even be the reason you can't sleep, but when you're laying there, your mind goes through all these different scenarios. And sometimes there are these kind of confrontational scenarios that don't exist, And then you kind of take that attitude with you. And I don't know what deeper stuff goes on in these people's lives. I don't know what their parents are like, and I don't care really. I take people at face value as they are, for better and worse, which sounds like one of these. (laughs) That sounds like a platitude. I take people at face value for better and worse. I take people at face value for who they are for better and worse. Kind of sounds like an annoying platitude (laughs) along these lines, but... uh, I don't know, I've, I've thought about this a lot over the years because it's become extremely popular. People express it online, you see it online. It's not limited to that, though. I met a guy about an, a year and a half ago who was like, he must have been pushing 50, a young 50, but I, I met him through friends, and uh, we were all together for a few days, and he was starting fights everywhere we went. And he talked in those terms. Like he didn't say he didn't he didn't say those platitudes, but everything he said was a version of that, and it was just like man, like this guy's just exhausting to be around, and he, you know he's an East Coast guy, and so there was this heavy kind of and that's you see that a lot with the East Coast. You, I mean, you see that a lot with people from certain cities on the East Coast where they think they have to act that way, and it's like where I live, we we're all this way. And maybe it is. Maybe it's some sort of survival mechanism, and I don't even want to get Psych 101 about it. But, you know, maybe there is some element to that where you, in a big city on the East Coast, you have to survive that way. But it was just, just being around this guy, it was like everything was like school of hard knocks. You know, can't handle me at my worst, don't deserve me at my best. If you mess with my family, blah, blah. You know, it was all like that channeled into just a guy trying to pick fights all the time and it's just like man like I don't mind somebody being tough but it just goes back to what I've said about wannabes and I'm not even talking about this guy in particular because I don't actually know him I you know obviously I met him but I don't I don't know the guy really um but it kind of goes back to what I've been talking about with wannabes where it's like you have to worry more about wannabes than you do somebody who's truly formidable where if somebody's truly scary, if somebody's true, it truly has a, a grasp of of what they themselves are capable of. They're probably not throwing it around. 
They're probably not wearing it on their sleeve. And uh, so I don't know. And and that doesn't. But then, as that guy, as that guy, that roommate, like told me, it was like the wannabes are the people you also have to worry about too, because they will do something stupid. They will try to prove themselves. They will pick a fight with you. So it's not that you don't worry about them, but they're like gnats. Gnats who can kill you. No, but they are more like gnats, where it's like they want to make this kind of superficial statement. Whereas people who are truly scary, truly intimidating, they don't need to do that because they're confident in who they are and what they're capable of. I mean, it's, it kind of goes back to martial arts, something that I'm not very interested in. God forbid I get interested in martial arts. Uh, I'd be unbearable talking about that. Uh, but with martial arts, you know, it's the same thing you hear where it's like people who are highly trained martial artists don't run around picking fights. You know, I'm sure you could find examples. Oh, here's a, here's a karate master who picks a bunch of fights. No, I'm sure you could find some. But in general, there's this discipline. There's this idea that I don't need to use this. I don't need to show this off. Because I can kill you with my fingers, whatever it is. I can kick you in the balls and poke your eyes out. That's my martial art. It's like, oh, if you've pushed me to the point, <laughs> this is me turning into one of those people. If you've pushed me to the point where I'm, I'm having to physically defend myself, I'm going to kick you in the balls and poke your eyes out. There's no honor in, in fighting. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it does go back to like the martial artist or that kind of thing where it's like the person who really, you know, who, who's really tough doesn't have a need to show it off. And in fact, they'll probably show kindness. They'll probably show a certain, uh, you know, just a basic understanding of the hells that we can all live in and try to be kind as a result, because it does take a lot of strength. It's taken me personally, not saying I'm the kindest person in the world, I'm not saying that I'm where I want to be even in terms of goodwill and kindness, but it has taken me so much more strength to be kind in my life than it's taken to do anything else. Like when I had more of a chip on my shoulder and I still got one, I still got a chip. The difference is I used to feel like I was on the shoulder of a chip. (laughs) Whereas now I actually feel like that I have a, a small chip on my shoulder. I used to feel like the chip was bigger than I was. Uh, but you know, it, it certainly took more strength and not that I had to exert a lot of strength toward being kind, it just took me strengthening myself as a whole to be more kind, if that makes sense. It's not that I had to like exert all of this effort, this forceful effort, and put my entire self into like individual acts of kindness, or even being kind as a whole. It's just that I feel that strengthening my whole made being kind easier, but that itself took a lot of strength, a lot more strength than it took to, to be bitter and cynical. You know, so that's just been my experience for sure. Well, at the same time, I I also feel more capable now. I'm not saying I'm a tough guy, but I'm just saying, like, I feel like I could probably handle myself better right now than at any previous point where I did have a bigger chip on my shoulder or where I was just a little ant sitting on the shoulder of a chip. Uh, (laughs) You know, so it's funny how that works, how it's like the more capable I feel physically, 
mentally, the more I just want to be kind. And it's funny because a friend of mine got in good shape, started working out a lot years ago now. I mean, it's been probably three years since he got in shape. And he said to me at the time when he started, and I related to it, I had already been on, on that road myself. And so he was talking to me about it. And he said, he's like, I just want to look dangerous. And I laughed to myself because I was just like, you'll see, you'll see, but that's the last thing you're going to want. Like once you're actually along the way and in shape and, you know, if you, as soon as you have a physical, once you achieve the physical presence you want that you're envisioning right now, the last thing you want is to walk into a room and have people be afraid of you or dangerous. And it's not that I know anything about that. I don't know that I, that anyone would look at me and think that, but I, I think, you know, you carry yourself differently. You carry yourself differently if you do certain things. If you put your body through certain training and exercise, you will carry yourself differently for sure. But it's funny because I related to what he said because, you know, I remember when I got into working out, I, I kind of had the same feeling where I was like, well, I, I, I certainly wouldn't mind if people find me a little more intimidating or something. Uh, but the reality is once you're underway, once you're along the way on that path, you actually don't want that because you're not trying to prove anything. And uh, and that kind of fits in with the whole preloaded confrontation thing where it's like a lot of people, they want people to like think they're dangerous. And let's get back to the one, just to circle back to if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. The reality of that one is... The opposite is almost always true in my experience. People can handle you at your worst. You know, misery loves company, and I, I have my own version of that, which is that misery doesn't love company. It hates it, but it invites it in anyway. That's the truth about misery. It's not that misery loves company. It's that it hates it. It invites it in anyway, and it complains to its companion. And then it gets sick of its companion and kicks it out. Misery loves company because it can invite it in and be like, you wouldn't believe the person who was just here. Oh my God, I had this, uh, uh, my, my brother was here and you wouldn't believe the things that he was going on about. Oh, I can't believe him. And it's like, yeah, you're going to be saying that about the person who's in front of you as soon as they leave. Misery doesn't love company. It hates it, but it invites it in, in any way. But that kind of, you know, because of that sort of idea, which has a lot of truth to it, it seems like people can handle you at your worst because they're at their worst and they want to be around other people who are on their level. Water finds its own level. We're filled with cliches here, but many of them, many of them are true. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people can't handle you when you're feeling good, when you have your shit together. And I don't, I don't mean like financially, I don't mean professionally, I just mean when you've managed to find some cohesion inside of yourself, uh, especially with the spiritual path, even if you're not expressing it, even if you're not burdening people with spiritual talk like I do, even simply like being composed in that way can be extremely off-putting and it, it can sometimes shine a harsh light on other people's insecurities. 
So in my experience, people do have a harder time with you at your best than they do with you at your worst. And you can see with the way, now that people have access to celebrities and famous people and, and just all kinds of people online, now that people can directly comment, comment on a, a, t- a Twitter account, look at what they say. Look at what they say. They think those people are, are at their best. Like when they see a celebrity say something online or a notable figure say something online and they respond with, oh my God, you're a freaking, you're, you're an evil animal who's hurting people. You're causing harm. Oh my God, Elon Musk is causing harm. You know, like when somebody responds to somebody like that, they're not responding because they see Elon Elon Egon Musk as, as his uh, worst. They're not like, oh, look at this guy. He's at his worst. They're responding to that because they think he's at his best. And of course, they don't know what his life consists of, but they see rich guy, confident, secure. Let me attack him for something he said that I don't agree with. They're looking for excuses. Whereas if you look at that stuff and, and if you were to get on Twitter and say, I'm bipolar and, uh, you know, uh, I don't have a quarter to my name and I'm mad at Republicans. Somebody's going to respond and be like, yeah, dude, you, you go, you go. You know, they're going to encourage that. People seem to, that's kind of the level people, uh, when people don't feel good, they want to see that. That's their level. So when somebody expresses themselves in a way you disagree with, but you see them at their best, you want to attack that. You want to tear it down. And I've thought a lot about this. I've thought a lot lot about the idea of people tearing someone down, like creating this false statue out of somebody so they can tear them down. And you hear that talked about a lot. I kind of avoid talking about it because it's something other people talk about. Um, But the reality is, yeah, I don't think people have a hard time with people at their worst. I think they have a harder time with people at their best, depending on who they are. I mean, of course, not everybody, but the masses for sure seem to have that attitude where it's much more difficult for them to deal with somebody who's doing well and not just doing well, but doing well on their own terms in their own way. I think that's maybe the better way to put it. Um, and uh, and you know, it's not that people hate good news. Some people do like to hear good news about people. But a lot of people resent it too. A lot of people like you know quietly have a, either a jealousy or they think somebody doesn't deserve something. They find some excuse in their mind that they're probably not even aware of completely themselves, but there's something there that makes them think, I'm not happy for this person. They think they're better than me. I had somebody say that to me once. Not that they were better than me, but it was a guy that I liked. It was a guy, you know, quite a bit older than I was, probably in his 40s, you know, a friend. And I would consider this guy a friend of mine. But I met him through other friends, and this guy was like accomplished in his field. 
and we were drinking. It was year, many years ago, and this guy, I don't know, I, just, I thought of this guy as like a big, sleepy, peaceful dragon, and we'd always gotten along really well. There'd never been any issue, but he sat down, and we were drinking, and he just goes, so what's your deal, man? Like, you think you're better than everyone? And I just like I was like what, <laughs> I, and I you know and I don't even think this guy knew me very well and maybe that's how I come across like I very well might like I met I might come across that way for sure on this show, maybe I do come across that way I don't know I don't feel that I've ever tried to express that to anybody. I work hard on myself and at that point in time I actually wasn't doing well at all. I was in the throes of you know a pretty an escalating drinking problem. I had a very negative outlook, but I don't think, but I was, but that's a great example. I think that's a good segue because at that point in time, I was like the most popular socially I'd ever been. And I think that plays into what I'm talking about, about people handling you better at your worst than at your best, depending on who they are. Again, I think the people who truly love you, the people who truly matter, love you at your best and they, or they welcome it either way. You know, it's not even about love. It's just about like wanting to deal with you, wanting to be around you. But it seemed like when I was spinning out of control and I was at my worst, I, I really felt like I was having to bat people away socially. You know, I felt like people were drawn to me. Maybe because I was humble, except for this this guy apparently didn't think so. And I I still like this guy. This guy's a, a really genuinely good guy, which is why it kind of hurt, <laughs> you know. Which is why like it kind of definitely uh, it, it temporarily pushed the poison arrow in because I was just like, man, this, this guy thinks that about me. This guy thinks that, and because he he brought it up like, what's your whole deal, dude? And it was just weird because my interactions with this guy had always been positive. I'd always been interested in what this guy had to say and what this guy did. So the fact that that was his, just something he had to say, I was just like, man, uh, I don't know, I don't know where that came from. I'll totally acknowledge that I might give that impression. I, I don't feel that way. I truly don't feel that I'm better than anybody. I do feel that I'm constantly pushing myself. I like to be good at what I do. You know, not to turn this into some self-analysis here but it just it was like man you know I, I don't know it was just nobody's ever said that to me before or or, or since so I was just like man that, that's brutal um but uh, again though it's like it's funny to me at that time it seemed like I was the, yeah the most socially popular I've ever been in my entire life meanwhile I was at my worst 100% at my worst I don't think I'll ever, even if I find another worst, which I don't think I will, that was definitely a special level of worst for me in terms of just my soul being twisted up. And uh, it's, But it seemed like that was attractive to people, and not horrible people, not criminals, you know, not demons, but just people. People who had their own issues seemed to, but, but were nonetheless, you know, more or less stable people. Uh, maybe it, maybe it was humility. Maybe it was something. I don't know what it was, but it's interesting to me that I've had that experience. I've heard many people talk about that experience. It's a common topic that comes up if you follow any kind of spiritual subject matter. You'll often hear that people who have gone down a spiritual path will find that it's quite lonely. 
And that as you start to untwist yourself and feel good, it can get very lonely. And part of that might be that you're no longer attracted to people who are all twisted up. Not that you have a problem with them, not that you judge them, but just you realize, oh, you know, if if I'm going to spend time with these people or this person, it's actually kind of a burden because they're they're kind of caught up in this twisted delusion and they're always getting into disputes with people. I mean, there's people I love who I just can't be around because there's always some sort of dispute with somebody. What people call drama, which is another one of these platitudes. Like, I'm a no drama girl, you know. Oh, I don't like drama. Um, I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with if you mess with my family, you're gonna get the fist to your face. If you uh, if you can't handle me at my most dramatic, you don't deserve me at my uh, least dramatic. You kind of you kind of these things all kind of occupy the same space in the brain. And, uh, and they're never true. They're never really true. Like the, the sort of person who says, if you mess with my family, you're going to get a piece of me. The sort of person who says that really isn't going to, you're really not going to get a piece of them. Like they're not going to beat you up if you have a problem with their family. They're just going to suck you into some dramatic episode. Like the person who says, oh, I went to the school of hard knocks. You can't fool me. You probably can fool them. They probably aren't going to kick your ass. So all these things, they're, they're, they're dishonest, if nothing else, you know, where it's like the sort of person, it's wannabe talk. It's people who want to be tough. And the person who says, like, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Well, it's like usually the reverse is true. And people can actually handle you at your worst. Meanwhile, when you're at your best, you expose their petty insecurities But even beyond that, people say that as sort of an excuse to be their worst. Like when I think about some of the women I know, and this isn't targeted at women, I just, for whatever reason, it fascinates me that women are so attracted to that idea. If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Because whenever I see it, I think you're giving yourself an excuse to act out your worst in your worst behavior. You're reinforcing your worst behavior by acting that way. You're not keeping yourself in check. You're giving yourself some sort of justification. If you can't handle the angel on my shoulder, if you can't handle the devil on my shoulder, you don't deserve to talk to the angel. <laughs> uh, you know, but you're reinforcing the worst by saying that. Because if somebody is really a part of your life and they have to deal with your ups and downs, you can take it as it comes. And they'll know if it's worthwhile or not. But it's sort of this preloaded confrontational attitude. Like, you just have to deal with me. You just have to deal with me. And I would see, I, you know, honestly, because I've never had a girlfriend who said any of that. There's somebody in my life who doesn't say that exact phrase, but they communicate that a lot. There is somebody in my life who, yeah, she doesn't say the best, worst slogan, but she finds other ways to communicate that a lot. And, and I love this person, but it's really off-putting. And I'm sure I'm off-putting too, so whatever. But uh, 
I've never had, a, I've never dated somebody who, who uses these sort of confrontational platitudes. Cause I think I, I don't think I would have even allowed that to happen. I don't, I, you know, to me, like when I see that, I think, okay, I would never want to deal with you. I would never want to handle your best or your worst. I would never want to have anything to do with you in that way. Not because I'm afraid of people having ups and downs. That's inevitable. That's all built in. Having friends, you know, and, and if, if somebody, if you, having a relationship with somebody, the ups and downs are built into that. So like starting it out with some sort of like confrontational, you know, is it, oh, okay, oh, you're the only one who has ups and downs. You're the only one who has your best and your worst. And you have to make some declaration about it. You know, that just seems like setting things, it's starting things off on the wrong foot. And it's justifying your worst behavior by acting like it's all balanced out by your best. Well, it turns out those things actually don't have as close of a relationship as you think. Like if you deal with somebody who, if you have to handle somebody who's difficult, like somebody who's prone to dramatic outbursts and difficult behavior, you're not sitting there thinking like, oh, you know, I'm dealing with this because at her best, she's, she's so great. And they're not thinking that about you. And chances are, if, if you're caught in that kind of cycle where you do have to like weigh these things out on a scale, like, oh, well, this behavior is really bad, but the best is really good, so it all balances out. Well, it's good to think of someone's good sides when they're showing you their bad side. The idea that we're constantly weighing these things in direct relationship to each other just isn't realistic. And when you're caught up in the moment uh, with certain behavior, you're caught up in the moment with that. And no matter how they rationalize it or how you weigh it, it doesn't really make a difference. And I don't think that those two things are, uh, I don't know, I don't think that those two things are on the same scale all the time. So here I am, like, probably thinking more about that saying than anybody ever has. But every time I see it, and I've seen it a lot, I've heard it a lot, I always think about it because I'm just like, huh, you know, I don't, I don't think that you're going to get what you want by saying that, first of all. It seems like some sort of self-sabotage. And it seems like if you're saying that, you're at your worst already. Like, I, that's the funny thing about it is when someone says that, chances are they're not at their best. Somebody who says, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. When they're saying that, no question they're at their worst. And they might dwell there probably more often than they should if they feel the need to say that. If you feel the need to say that you got to handle my worst if you want my best, you probably dwell in the worst side of things more often than you should if you even need to say that. But again, people saying that is some form of justification for shitty behavior. And of course, no, I mean, of course there's a, in being committed to somebody, which I know very little about, but in being committed to somebody, you're taking the ups and the downs. I mean, I think that's even in marriage vows, isn't it? That's even one of the vows people take when they get married, like in sickness and in health. Which would be a better way of putting it. If you can't handle me when I'm sick, you don't deserve me when I'm healthy. <laughs> Which is a funny way to put it. And that kind of puts it all in perspective, at how ridiculous that way of thinking is. 
you can't handle me when I'm lukewarm and neutral, you don't deserve me when I'm hot and sticky. I think a version of that would be, if you can't handle my dicky when it's soft, you don't deserve it when it's hard. Not to get too crass here. (laughs) If you can't handle me when I'm soft, you don't deserve me when I'm hard. (laughs) I I need to come up with more of these. I think that's how I'm going to deal with that saying, is that I'm just going to come up with an infinite number of those. If you can't handle me when I'm fat, you don't deserve me when I'm ripped. If you can't handle me when I have hair, you don't deserve me when I'm bald. Maybe the opposite. If you can't handle me when I'm bald, you don't deserve me when I have hair. (laughs) If you can't handle me when uh, I'm uh, begging for change on the street corner, you don't deserve to come to my mansion. (laughs) I'm just going to... Annoying... I'm going to come up with annoying new examples of this. If you can't handle my art when it sucks, you don't deserve it when it's really good. If you can't listen to this podcast at its worst, you don't deserve this podcast at its best. And if you ever miss, if you ever mess with my podcast, you're going to get a piece of me. Because this is a, a podcast of hard knocks. That's funny. I do take that approach, you know, where I say, like, there's something on this show for every... I, I truly feel this way. There is something on this show for everybody to love and everybody to hate. And the same person should feel both ways about it. I think the same individual person can probably find things that they love as well as hate about this show. I guarantee you. And if you don't hate this show now, trust me, you will. But if you hate this show, you still might find something to love about it. I, I swear by that. I wouldn't claim this is the best podcast in the world. It's certainly not. But I will say that if you can't handle this podcast at its worst, you don't deserve this podcast at its best. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free. So take.